Welcome to the TD Jakes Podcast. This episode is the second part of our conversation with Devon Franklin and Megan Good. Let's jump in. How tough has it been for you to be a preacher's wife? Mm. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, sometimes it is tough, you know? And, and I wouldn't even say it's judgment, you know? I think it's just... A lot of people don't really understand my journey and my calling. And a lot of things don't make sense to some people. And so sometimes I come under fire, intense fire, not in love fire, um, almost abusive fire. And how does that feel? It can be tough He's so much better at it than I am. He's like, and and what does God say? You know, what is God telling you? For me, I just have to remain confident in where I know God has me right now and where how God wants to use me specifically as it pertains to younger women that I'm connected with. And these are women that will probably never step foot in church. But I know that I am kindred to them to make them feel loved and make them feel accepted and make them feel enough and make them feel worthy. And part of that is connected to me being authentic and being true. I, like I said before, didn't grow up in the church. I grew up doing off-Broadway shows with drag queens when I was 10, 11 years old. My perception and my perspective is very different than someone else's. Yes. It's a lot more liberal. Yes. It can be challenging, but ultimately... I know that God has me where he has me specifically. I, I, I and, love what you said. Excuse me, but I love what you said about your perspective. Because one of the most difficult things for me to manage is when I was pastoring a church in West Virginia where we all grew up alike and we all thought alike and we all came from similar backgrounds and we had similar values and we had similar ideas, I knew the rules. I could play the game. But when my world got bigger, even in this room, we're all Christians in this room, but there are all kinds of Christians, all types of Christians, different ideas. There's a skinny jean preacher in the room. There's a clergy shirt preacher in the room. There's a street preacher in the room. There's a corporate preacher in the room. All of these different types of people in the room who have different ideas about everything. Recently, I went to my son-in-law's church where they preach dressed kind of like you are. And so I put on my jeans and I went in there and it was no big deal. Everybody in the room has it's that kind of church and put it on Instagram. And somebody who's from a very conservative reformation went bananas because their idea of the man of God. Yeah, yeah, you saw them clap back. Yeah. See, you should hear what I wanted to say. <laughs> You read what I said. That was the answer after the Holy Spirit had rustled me down to the floor. Had I given them the raw answer? Because I will not clap back. I will snap back, fight back, jump across the table back. Yeah, with something that's crazy, okay? But I had to remember this, that there was a time I would have been the guy writing. Because my perspective was so narrow as to what appropriate is, your perspective changes with exposure. So the way you think about what you think is a result of where you come from. 
You understand? And that is the significance and the mystery of where you are right now because you say you were doing Broadway with drag queens in a very liberal environment where to be a Christian did not have the expectations of having something up to your neck and, and down to You didn't take no chances today. You are covered all the way up to glory. <laughs> I'm just playing with you. I'm wearing her sweater. <laughs> you're wearing his sweater. I'm wearing her sweater, yeah. Oh, you're wearing but, her oh, okay. but I actually thought about that, too. A part of me was like, I'm cold, but I don't want them to think I'm extraly covering up. You know what I'm saying? Because, again, I, I want to be... Yourself. Myself. How hard I is it to be yourself and be his wife? You know, the other day when we had the whole thing, we were at one church... And, you know, he said that she's going to wear what she wants to wear in the name of Jesus. He wasn't saying what I was wearing in the name of Jesus. He was saying I have free will between me and Jesus mm-hmm. and only between me and Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was hard for me to see, even though 95% of everything that was said was awesome and supportive and amazing, there was still that 5%. Mm-hmm. And, and they weren't even coming for me at that point. They were coming for him, and that upset me mm-hmm. because I felt like they were coming for him because of me. Mm-hmm. But again, he's not affected by it like that, which I appreciate, and that gives me a lot of strength. How again. do you insulate yourself? She keeps saying over and over that it doesn't affect you like it affects her. What armor are you wearing that protects your heart from crumbling when your soul is under attack? Um, Good question. Having been in entertainment for almost 20 years and have seen, you know, working as an intern for Will Smith and seen, you know, work with P. Diddy and all these people in the public eye and having worked with you and seeing and all this stuff, what it has done is it's given me perspective in that, If I allow someone I don't know to make me feel differently about someone I do know and I love, (laughs) then I will have massively failed. And then I will be living for the stage and the performance, not my true purpose. And (laughs) Selah, you know, Selah. And I'm telling you this because you're here, but I would say it if you weren't here. You did a sermon years ago called Praise in the Midst of Pain. Mm -hmm. And it's the only reason why I still have a VCR because it's only available on VHS tape. (laughs) This was like in my early 20s. I I didn't know you at the time. And I would watch it. And and he went through the whole book of Ephesians, Mm -hmm. setting up Ephesians, Ephesians, Ephesians. Then he gets to chapter 5 and he talks about how all of a sudden Paul turns to marriage and husbands, (laughs) wives, submit yourself to your husbands and husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Mm -hmm. And he gave himself for the church. Mm -hmm. So that idea of, okay, God has called me to marry her. We are in marriage. This is my queen. I am her king. If I'm loving her as Christ loved the church, it requires me to get on the cross of public opinion of blog comments for her. That's my duty. I don't get to choose it any other way. Mm -hmm. And I do that willingly Mm -hmm. because I love her Mm -hmm. and I care about her. And knowing real love, when you get, you know, when you get real love, listen, they can talk about me, they can say what they want. If you guys haven't heard, I mean, you know, the thing that she's referencing a week ago, two weeks ago, we were at one church, Bishop Jake's son-in-law, Pastor Teray, who's, who's one of my best friends. We went there to do a book event for a book. And somebody came up at the end of the Q&A and they were talking about, oh, you know, Megan, you're so beautiful. You're so amazing. You know, I wasn't going to come. I decided to come. And then I was in the grocery store and I saw a magazine. Now, what magazine she's talking about, I don't know, because she probably was referencing something from years ago. Anyway, 
at the end of her statement, she says, so you're going to cover up now, right? Trying to negotiate what she's going to wear. And I said, sorry, ma'am. No, 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 no. I said, no, she's going to wear. And I want to be clear. I said, she's going to wear what she wants to wear in the mighty name of Jesus. And the reason why I said that is because there's this pervasive idea that just because I'm married to her, she's married to me, that that means I own her and she owns me. Mm-hmm. She's an individual mm-hmm. and she has the power of free choice. And if somebody's going to come at her in a public setting, listen, y'all going to have to pull out the Uzis. Right. You know what I'm saying? Somebody, cause, cause I am protecting my wife because I believe in her. I believe in her right to go in the closet and choose what she feels looks good. And I didn't want to be in that setting, Bishop, mm-hmm. where people are sitting there coming at us. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, well, you didn't stand on scripture. No, I stood on love. Right. I stood on duty. I stood on exactly what I was supposed to stand on. So to answer your question, where it, that strength comes from is, is years of training, years of reading and understanding, and also love. Right. It's just love. And I'm like, look, I'll take the hits. And she gets emotional about it. But I'm like, look, I'll take them because that's what it's about. And, and how could I not? go into marriage thinking that stuff was going to come. Whenever you're on God's path and you're doing what he wants you to do, the book had just got hit the New York Times bestsellers list. And people want to come in talking about what she's wearing, but we're one of the only Christian couples in the world coming out saying, hey, you can date without sex. It's an attack of the enemy. So if I didn't understand it that way, then I would have allowed myself and us to be dragged into it. Thank you. The, the, argument, the argument becomes, the, 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 the Bible is clear yet cloudy. Yes. It is clear yet cloudy. It is clear that the Bible says, let your women be adorned in modest apparel. That's clear. What is cloudy is what is modest. That's right. Say it. What is it? Come on. It is clearly the expectation that the presence of Christ now regulates how you present yourself publicly. Yeah. That's clear. Or he wouldn't have said anything about it at all. Let them be adorned in modest apparel. Modest in Alaska <laughs> is very different from modest in Africa. That's right. When I was in South Africa, they did a travel dance welcoming me to Soweto. The dancers came out in a service, dressed in skirts, and the women had no tops on at all. The dance was a dance of respect in that culture to honor a dignitary. To them, a shirtless woman was not considered immodest. Take those women out of that setting and put them in, in New York. And now you've got women walking around with their breasts hanging out and it is viewed very differently. Where there is ambiguity as a result of culture, there is conflict. Even amongst those who teach absolute modesty. My wife went to a church grew up in a church where they couldn't wear short sleeves because the church mother said that this is your ankle and this is your knee. So you know what that is. 
You couldn't wear a tank top because you were exposing. So no matter how hot it was, as high as they could go was to the elbow. Okay. My boys had never seen their mother in a pair of pants in their life. To pluck your eyebrows would get you silenced. Mm. Because women don't cut their hair. Nowhere. We argued about whether you would be baptized in the name of Jesus or in the name, no, not just in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That wasn't, wasn't even up for discussion. The argument was, do you get baptized in the name of Jesus or in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? And there would be fights amongst us about whether you said Jesus, Jesus Christ, or Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. And I messed her all up. I messed her all up because we were apostolic, but we weren't that strict. Okay. So when she started wearing stuff like pants, people almost died. They almost died. But see, I was a young man and I had finally got some legal. Uh, <laughs> And I wanted to celebrate, you know. I mean, I wanted to put on some, not indecent, you know, but you're young, you want to put on something that the people in my generation was wearing. What I'm pointing to is the conflict, one that comes from living in a broader world where your perspectives are different. And then I'm talking about the conflict of wrestling with being a young person in an old man's job. How do you find that sweet spot between being authentically myself and yet being responsible for the yoke of the gospel? Because it is a yoke. It's a yoke. You cannot take the gospel and not take the yoke. There are expectations put on you. The Bible says stuff that if eating meat offends my brother, then I don't eat. Well, the more brothers you have, the less you get to eat. Because one brother says eating meat offends me, and another one says eating vegetables offends me, and another one says you can't eat potato salad, don't eat raw meat, and the bigger your world gets, I'm telling you, you cannot escape controversy. If you spend your life running from controversy, you will spend your life on the run. You will never accomplish anything. Somebody is going to hate you. I don't care what you do. So you have to walk this is my view. You have to walk in alignment with the dictates as God reveals to you. And then that changes too. You have to give people room to grow into the full measure of what Christ wants them to be. But the problem with this is you're growing on stage. You're growing in the spotlight. So there you are out there teaching celibacy and you're getting criticism because of some magazine. And yet, tell me this, because I couldn't wait to ask you this. I'm so glad you're here. If you got on the red carpet dressed like a pastor's wife, how would that work? Oh, they'd come for me. Everybody else would. Everybody would. You can't can't win for losing, you know? It's like no matter what you do, somebody has a problem with it. I've had people come up to me and, and say, you know, I'm so glad that you didn't lose who you are. 
and I'm so glad because that inspires me, and da 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 da. And then someone else in the same breath, you know, will say something different. So you just gotta <laughs> I'm, be authentic. So, I'm so glad to interview you because you just described my whole life. <laughs> Anything I do is wrong. Anything I do is wrong to somebody. <laughs> Doing this is wrong to somebody. I was down there for two days and they didn't make an altar call. Not one altar call. I couldn't believe. I used to respect Brother Jackson. I came down there to hear Brother Jackson. He sat up and talked to them young people and he didn't tell not one of them to repent. They should have put an altar up there. And... <laughs> I sensed a demon spirit in that room. (laughs) And here's what I want you to see. The person is really hurt. You're calling them a hater, but they're really hurt because from their perspective, I've let them down. What I had to realize about the guy who wrote about my blue jeans it said, my Lord, based on the way I was raised 40 years ago, I would have been the one writing that letter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so on down in the conversation, a guy says, I know you, you were hot. And I said, yes, but I didn't answer him from a place of anger because I also realized that I was him. So I asked him, I said, I don't want to disobey the word of God. Where is that scripture? What I am doing then is challenging the way he thinks to show me the scripture that says I shouldn't wear jeans. And they were those rough jeans that looked like they'd been cut. They weren't even cut open where you could see flesh. They're just raggedy, you know. And he says I should represent Christ because to him, being a better representative of Christ would have been to look like his pastor. So it comes down to your point of reference which you can do that when you live in a vacuum with people who think like you and dress like you and worship like you and you all have the same values. But if you have the kind of anointing where God could take you like Joseph and make you a bow whose branches reach over the wall, when your bow reaches over the wall, all of your truths are challenged by other people's perspectives and your ability to endure the conflict without becoming bitter is difficult because the woman who says I was already screwed up before I met him now comes to him like a Boaz and now your help hurts. And the reason I thought it was important to bring you here is because there's not a pastor's wife in this room that doesn't live stuck between some level of cynicism and criticism about something. If you look too nice, you're looking at the kids. You're all dressed up looking like a man box, but the kids got on so and so and so. If the kids are dressed right and you're dressed right and he's dressed right, you're late for church. She's the last one to get there. You spend too much time primping. She's carnal. She's fleshly. You're doing enough. I can't believe she did. There's always somebody who's hating on you, even when you stay in a small community of thought, there's controversy. 
Your ability to withstand controversy has something to do with your ability to stand and do what God... When God says Paul became all things to all people that some might be saved, that's a huge challenge. Because what works in one setting doesn't work in another setting. And the bigger you become, the more complicated your life is. So before you reach for the stars, see if honey can handle the heat. Check the kids. Do you really want to raise your kids like I raised mine? With the light glaring on a teenager? Can the kids stand for daddy to be so popular and they read all kind of nasty, hateful, obnoxious, evil things about their father and not hate the church? Sometimes God hadn't let you succeed. It's not because you're not ready. Your kids aren't ready. He's protecting your family. Because he doesn't want you to have to bury your son who commits suicide over what they said about him because you were gifted enough to be written about. But don't worry, they're not going to call his name because people don't know him. They're going to say Devon Franklin's son because we want to get the ratings. So what do you do when your success becomes your sorrow? When I get that feeling, I need... Uh, and, and all of a sudden, you find yourself in this situation where a man of God has to think for everybody. Everything she does affects him. Everything he does affects her. A bird and a fish. The space you live with the one you love is so sacred. Yeah. Once you figure out how to have a space that's just us, it's so sacred. And any intruder who invades that space jeopardizes your union because they have the whole world to live in and you have a room. And when that gate closes or that door closes, He gets to have what everybody else had. He didn't marry a first lady. He didn't get her because she directs the choir and she can lead praise and worship. He wasn't looking for a worship leader. He wasn't looking for somebody to be missionary. Listen, your husband does not want a worship leader. He may be a pastor, but he doesn't want to come home to the missionary. You are the keeper of the flame. You are the one who dresses the torch. (laughs) What makes you applauded in the church will wreck your marriage. But what makes your husband walk around with a silly grin for three days will wreck the church. (laughs) There are 
only a couple of things that makes a man have a silly grin. Whenever you see a brother with this stupid grin painted on the side of his face, it always... <laughs> I don't care if you're 16 or 60. Men are simple. We're like plants. If you water us and give us some sunlight, we will bloom and blossom and bring forth fruit. Stop giving me stuff that doesn't water me. You're spending a lot of money doing stuff I don't care about. I don't see the highlights in your hair. I don't care. <laughs> understand why the men are not giving me some support up in this place. <laughs> See, the church is trying to mold you into a mother in Zion. That's not why I married you. If I wanted a mother in Zion, I'd have married one. I want you to act like a mother in Zion, but you and me gotta know this is an act. When I get you back home, I'm gonna drop it like it's... <laughs> Drops my sexy chocolate. Let me show you something. And, and, and I am not going to define modesty because it is a mobile term and it is cultural and it's relative to a lot of things. But I'm going to say it's important that you be mindful that you dress according to who you are. And that sliding scale moves. It has age to do with it. It has occupation to do with it. It has a lot of things to do with it. You can't have a person who works at Kroger's and tell them you can't wear the Kroger uniform. Okay, you can't say I can't wear a Wendy shirt because I'm a deacon. For her, her job carries her into an environment where she is held to a different standard. And her relationship with her husband puts her in a place where she's held to yet a different standard. I am going to say this. The Bible is clear. He that is married cares for the things of the world. This is the book as to how he may please his or her companion. This is the one time that Paul gives a pass that if you are married, you have to be a little bit aware of worldly things because marriage is for earth. She will not be Mrs. Franklin in heaven. Come on here now. It says that he that is unmarried, the benefit of being single, you can give yourself wholly over to God. But if you are married, you can't even fast without asking him for permission 
because the book says your body belongs to him and his body belongs to you and you can't even give it to God without talking to me because when I married you, your stuff is mine. My stuff is yours. This is to keep me from seeking other solutions. And maybe one of the reasons that we are having more divorce in the church than in the world is because we are choosing people to be worship leaders. I don't even want to go that deep. Okay, I started in that thing that I do in Ephesians. I talk about the synergy between worship and sensuality. Both of them are intimacy. Intimacy. And so when Paul goes from talking about worship one minute to the woman the next, it sounds like in the fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians that he is talking about marriage. But then at the end of the chapter, he says, this I speak unto you regarding the mystery between Christ and the church. Because when the church really strips itself and worships God, it is as intimate as a woman making love to her man. And the father seeketh such. You understand what I'm saying? I ain't going to go into it. If I go into it, it's a whole issue that the reason my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit is because as the bride of Christ, my body is his. As he pleases. That intimacy reflects in worship. He dwells in me. (laughs) My inner sanctum is his sanctuary. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the most high. See, when I'm still abide under the shadow of the almighty. So the reality is marriage really is God showing you a picture of him and the church. And the reason you get mad when they attack her is the same way God gets mad when they attack the church because the church is his woman. And she's also his body. For the first woman was Adam's body. For he said she is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. I will call her woman. She is the female expression of me. And together our union celebrates what we were before because she came out of him. And when he goes into her, they become what they were before. The power of that union is an expression of their origin. You understand what I'm saying? And the reason for the wait was meant that this is so real that the breaking of the hymen is the shedding of the blood that seals the covenant between the man and the woman. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So in the old days, when the consummation was over, the groom would come out waving the blood, saying this is covenant. This is sacred. This is holy. This is real. This is his woman. 
He can have sex with her not because she's female, but because she is his body. When the Bible says let every man have his own wife, he doesn't say let every man have women. Just because you have a stem doesn't give you a right to a plug. You have a right to your plug. It is not women in general. It is your woman because your woman becomes your body. That's why when she goes in to have surgery, I have to sign. Because I am responsible for her body. She is responsible for mine. That's why I can't bring her no disease. I am responsible for her body. She has given her body to me. This is mine. This is mine. See, some of you didn't come up with real Bible teaching. So you have like pie crust but no filling because you didn't come up in the old days where fame didn't matter where people taught the word of God because they were profound not because they were rich they were rich in truth the reason I started Project Gideon in part was to give you your heritage back so that you understand that everything means something when you waited the outward man was denied how much more of your inner space were you able to give to him because you held back on your outer space um all of it stuff i didn't even know was there the way that we interacted and communicated with each other was different than anything i had ever experienced before it was beyond just you know laughing and kind of getting to know each other and being attracted to each other it was like searching the inner deepest part of our core, of our heart, of our soul, of our spirit, of our mind, of our thoughts, of our experiences. It just was a totally different way to get to know someone. And that's because that's what we had time to do instead of being distracted by the physical, when's the next time we can hook up or have sex or whatever it is. It was like, how do I get to know every single part of you? And, and as a result, I believe that it brought us to marriage quicker because we were able to see each other and understand each other quicker and, and able to say, I not only could, but want to spend the rest of my life with you and to have that, that clarity. So it just, it opened everything. And it also allowed me to see myself more too and identify the areas where I needed to grow and heal. And he, God used him to bring a lot of that growth and a lot of that healing, a tremendous amount of healing. Now, I know I'm a man. I understand how men do. We're hunters. We're hunters by nature. When God created Adam, he told him to subdue and have dominion. So a man needs to hunt. We're all hunters. Even when you don't think we're hunters. We're plotting all the time. If we like you, we're trying to set you up. Let's take a walk. (laughs) We don't want to walk. (laughs) We're hunting. Even when we're nice, we're hunting. Even when we're grinning, we're, we're hunting. If we like you, we're hunting. We're hunting, we're hunting. 
were hunting. The pressure of the hunt and the power of the hunt is titillating to the man. The hunt is more sexy than the catch. It's hot, man. It's the feeling of getting close. It's anticipation. What does she mean by that? Oh, come here, girl. Let's talk about that. You ain't got nothing to worry about. You can, come here. Stop acting crazy. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> It's the hunt. My point, watch this, I'm going somewhere. My point is, for us, it starts long before the catch. So really, all the things you're talking about while you're hunting, you're not really listening. Right. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? You're not really listening because you're distracted by the hunt. The goal. So this is just a preliminary. What, as a man, did you learn about you in the absence, not of the sex? I get that, in the absence of the hunt. There was still a hunt, but it wasn't sexual. Okay. The hunt was for her true self. So how do I articulate this? It's like, her and I coming together and getting a chance to know each other. She, even when she wanted to be fully herself, mm-hmm. was only giving 50%. Mm-hmm. Not because she didn't want to, but because of the hurt and the pain and can I trust you? So the hunt for me was you can give me a little more. Mm-hmm. You can give me a little more. And so that hunt still goes on today. Dear Lord, it ain't gonna never stop. It still goes on today because <laughs> it, it 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 does, and, and <laughs> right, you thirty, you know, forty years into it, you still hunted. <laughs> but but that for me was where because you're right, as a man, you know, it is a hunt, and you are trying to catch. But when that was off the table for me, it was like, no, no, I want you to be able to trust me. I want to know who you really are. I want to understand you. I want you to be able to talk to me the same way you talk to your sister or your mom. I want you to know that I'm here for you. I'm not here for what you do. I'm not here for how they look at you. I'm here for you. And that desire to get to know her and for her to trust me, that's a hunt. And even now, it's still like, baby, come on now. Come out of the cave. Come on. I'm here. Don't worry. I got you. And for me, what I love about how we waited and, and all of that is that because it wasn't about the physical, I think it prepared us to be able to withstand not only this marriage, but our schedules, our lifestyles together, and also because I wasn't hunting for what was in her pants, she now can trust me that my intentions are pure. And that was what for me was so gratifying, is that she would know that I'm not here for what happens between the sheets. I'm here for what happens in your heart. I want to build with you, and I want us to have the life that God wants us to have. But I want you to know that it comes from a genuine place. Because if we never, let's say marriage was never going to happen, what we went through was still authentic, and it wasn't a code, and it wasn't a diversion to try and get something else. Wow. Here's my question. I don't know if you're worried this way or not. 
there is nothing as sexy to me as trust. Absolutely. Absolutely. Nothing that you would share your innermost self with me and become vulnerable is just absolutely intoxicating. Absolutely. So you're trying to woo her out yeah. to be oh, yeah. who she really is because the real honor of our relationship is the trust that, yes. That, yes. That, that you can come to me broken and that you can lay on my chest and cry. Do you know what that is? Mm. What that feels like? Amen. Do you know how that makes your chest swell up and your everything? Just gets a blessing. It's a blessing, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, it's a blessing, yeah. It's just a blessing for the saints of God. Yeah, it's a blessing, glory to God. You get to be the hero and all that. It's just a blessing, which makes the wait more difficult because what it took to get her to be transparent, now that she's transparent, puts you in a position of power that is absolutely intoxicating. You had to manage that. When he says even now, He's still wooing you out. And he said, he keeps telling you, I'm not going anywhere. Is the fear of the woman that if I open up and show you myself, that you will run away? I think not that uh, that he'll run away, but I think we all aspire to be the best version of ourselves. And when you know that there are times in your life where you haven't been, and not obviously not since I've been married, but it just times in your life, in your past, where you know you haven't been, it's almost like that transparency. And we've been pretty transparent about all of that. But even further, you can always go further. Mm-hmm. It's just shattering the image of how that person looks at you. Because oh. that's who you oh. aspire to be. And part of who you believe you are, but there's still the reality of where you've been, what you've done, what you've experienced. Stop, stop. I keep thinking, I keep thinking, I keep thinking, I keep thinking, I keep thinking. That's so good. Shattering the image. Have you shattered your image? Is there anybody in your life that you've had the courage to shatter your image and be your authentic self? First place to shatter your image is with yourself. That's right. To have the courage to be honest to yourself and love yourself anyway. Second thing is to shatter the image to the person you love and to stick around to see what happens with the calmness of being with somebody with whom there is nothing to hide. Come on, I hear you. No, I was going to say that, that, and that's the hard part too. I think some of us have shattered the image to ourselves and are, are totally at a place where we're like, all right, Lord, this is me. You know me. You search my heart. You know. And we're okay with mm-hmm. ourselves. Mm-hmm. But getting someone else to be okay with us accepting ourselves mm-hmm. is a totally different thing, especially when you've done it before and you have seen people look at you differently. They didn't necessarily run. Mm-hmm. You know, the relationship might have persisted, mm-hmm. but they looked at you differently. Mm-hmm. And it shattered that. I think that's the fear. This is the struggle of relationship. Because what she said is powerful. 
But it is also dangerous because she said, it's not that they ran away, it's that they looked at me differently. But how do you know that you interpreted the look correctly? When you feel like somebody looks at you differently, you react to the look that you interpreted without a conversation to see if the look meant what you thought it meant. And when that look, the look assumes that you understand things about me that you might be wrong about. Somebody said to me yesterday that I looked concerned when Bishop Watkins was talking. When in reality, I had put up a wall to keep from collapsing because I was so touched by what he said that if I would have let it out, I told him in the back room, it wasn't good. I don't mind crying. It was going to be the ugly cry. It was going to be the ball up in the not, not lay on the floor, fall out and cry because what we have between us is that deep. So when he got too deep, I froze because if I opened that door, it, okay, it would have opened up things that I don't want to leave that laying on the floor. It would have opened up how he came to see me when I was after surgery and I can still see him standing over the jacuzzi because my back was so swollen I got in and I couldn't get out and there the old man is standing over top of me trying to pull me out of the water. The father-son between us it is something that is deep. Okay? What I am saying is you could misinterpret the look and make a decision to the demise of the relationship or the diminishing of the relationship because there's nothing to say that what you think I'm thinking is what I'm thinking. Now, you don't know it, but we're counseling couples because you can make a decision based on a look and the look may not even mean what you think it means. Because men generally don't process quick enough for us to give you an immediate look that is our final decision. (laughs) We don't really know what we think about it for two or three days. (laughs) After we go back and process it and think about it, we'll come back in two or three days and say, you know what we were talking the other day? (laughs) And you said such and such and such. Where are my boys at? Holla at me. So my first glance isn't my final verdict. How many men relate to that? How many women didn't know that? Hold your hand up. How many women? Okay. It's a few of you didn't know that. His first reaction is not his final thought. Uh (laughs) It's going to be a while before the dust settles and I give you the verdict. The jury has to go back and weigh the evidence. We got to have a lunch break and relax from thinking about it because I have thought myself into a headache and the thinking about it is getting on my nerves. When I wake up in the morning, I'm going to think about it some more. And by Thursday, (laughs) I'm going to call you and say, you know, (laughs) that's what I'm talking about. You wrote a book. The book is called The Wake. It's on the New York Times bestsellers list. 
Because what you decide to do is so rare that everybody wants to read about it. What kind of feedback are you getting from the book? Uh, it's been incredible and uh, overwhelming. I mean, we got an email from a guy who had been in a relationship with the woman. I think they even have a kid. And she really, even though with having a kid, wanted to practice the weight. And he was Christian and she was Christian. And he was giving her ridicule over it and didn't want to do it and was really wearing her out about it. And she said, look, just watch this clip. And I think it was a clip from Megan and I, one of the shows that we had done. And he said, watching the clip made him weep because he was so convicted. Here he had the woman that he loved, that loved him for who he really was. And he wasn't man enough to honor the sacrifice because all she wanted to do was do it right. And he said that that convicted him and he wanted to thank us and he's now practicing the weight with her. And that's just one example of the type of um, support we've been getting. Now, you're not waiting no more, are you? <laughs> waiting on Jesus. <laughs> that's the only way we got right now. Because as a man, I think one of the fears that men have is not the wait before, it's the wait after. It's the fact that once you get the ring, we still got to wait. <laughs> he don't have to wait no more. She said, no, he don't have to wait anymore. Where are my boys up? Back me up. I'm trying to help you. See, it is not the wait before that is so terrifying. It is the wait afterwards. It is being married to somebody who is totally unconscious of the fact that you have a physical need of them and they put it on hold for immeasurable amounts of time and then wonder why you're not happily married and will kill you if you are disloyal only after you have starved me to death and then you kill me because I ate a sandwich. When, according to the scriptures, the scriptures say, you should make me wait very long ever at any time, lest you defraud me. So for you to punish him by making him wait after you're married, is like putting a pot on the stove, turning it up high, and saying you better not boil. Then when he boils over, over the line somewhere, you are hysterical about something you helped to create. And there was silence in heaven the space of a half hour. Devon, uh, there are brothers in this room, sisters in this room, female pastors, male pastors, entrepreneurs, business people, you're living your life. She's going one place, you're going another. You're young. How tough is it for you all to have quality time and how do you manage to be in love with somebody whose universe is orbiting in one way while yours is orbiting in another and she's catching one flight, you're catching another and she's over here and you're over there. And the reason I think it's important, for example, My wife is in California right now with my daughter who just had a baby while I'm holding this down here. She was originally supposed to be with me to do one of the sessions, 
But to him who much is given, much is required. And sometimes to hold the marriage together, you got to have the kind of teamwork where you cover the east side while I cover the west side. And you come back and I'll do this and this, do that. And, and you, you're partners together. But partners often end up having to cover different perspectives because you have so much to cover. How do you all manage that? And we may not ever be married to a movie star or be a film producer, but even if we're married to the choir director, see the choir rehearsal when you really want her to... Yeah, be at home, praise the Lord. Glory to God. And the other challenge is sometimes a woman can become so consumed in who she is as a mother or who she is at work or who she is at church that it is hard for you to switch roles as quickly as men. Because it's hard to be picking up toys all day and feel sexy. Whereas we can get through serving communion and switch our hat and turn into a completely different thing. There are about 10 guys living in here and all of them are at home all the time. Which one you want? <laughs> you know how when you go to the movie theater, you can get Coke, 7-Up, Dr. Pepper. It's all in one machine. It's just what button you push. That's right. That's right. That's your husband. You push the right button and he will come out of rows, clergy shirts, everything, turn into something you don't even know. You ought to see pastors' wives turning red in here. Like, how does he know? We're all like that. We're wired like that. We're nasty like that. That's how God made us. And the more anointed we are, the worse it is. Where are my real brothers that make some noise? Take the floor and talk to us, man. Whoo, Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. The more anointed you are. Oh, man. Hallelujah. We got to let that settle. Just let that settle in the atmosphere. Hallelujah. <laughs> to answer your question, you know, especially to those that are out there, one of the things that I made a mistake uh, early in marriage, you know, it's like, look, no one can tell you how to be married. I don't care how, you know, we mm -hmm. went to four months of pre-engagement counseling and, mm -hmm. you know, we even counseled with you and, and which was fantastic, but no one can tell you. So, you know, I'm getting into marriage and what was happening at the beginning of the marriage was I was bringing in my title, this preacher, I've written this book on faith. I'm known for this. That means you, you got to live to a certain expectation, babe. What was happening was not just the public expectation, but at home, it's like, oh, well, when I was taught marriage, it means you cook. It, no, no, I'm not saying not, but you get, you know what I'm saying, baby. Hold on, but <laughs> yeah, she does cook. Oh, I yeah, want to be you clear. A real couple now. <laughs> be real. She does cook, but no, it was like you cook. You're supposed. There you go. Wave it. You're supposed to. You're supposed to go with me when I preach. You're supposed to be on the front row. You're supposed to do these things at home, and you're supposed to do these things in public because you know who you married. And what was happening is I was hurting her and damaging our marriage because she's like, "Well, what if I don't want to go to church with you today?" What if I don't want to sit on the front row? 
What if I don't feel like cooking today? Do you love me less? Am I not a good wife? Oh, I'm talking to somebody in here. Am I not a good wife? And so, Bishop, what was happening is in my desire to be a good husband, I was messing things up because I'm putting the standard out there of this is what you have to do in order for me to love you. And the more that I did that, the more she would recoil. And the more she would push back and the more that she would run. And I began to say, well, what's going on? And I, you know, look, we're human. I'm like, yo, what's up? I don't understand what's going on. And, and I, you know, look, this is what marriage is supposed to be. You know, and she would be like, well, why? Like, I don't want you to love me because I'm doing something. I want to know, do you love me for really who I am? And what began to happen is I had to realize, okay, did I marry someone who was my wife? Or was I trying to marry someone who was a figurehead? Because there's a difference between being a wife and then a quote-unquote first lady. Mm -hmm. And if I wanted a first lady, then we should have gotten that squared away before marriage. Mm -hmm. Right. But when I wanted to get married, I didn't want a first lady. I wanted a wife. Mm -hmm. So how is it all of a sudden I get married and I'm saying, well, no, I want a first lady. And what I realized was that, okay... I married her because I wanted a wife, and she's the best wife in the world that I could ever aspire to have. As it relates to the first lady or whatever, the thing that God gave me was like, I have a company, I have a production company, you have a production company. If I looked at ministry just for a moment as a business, would I just expect just because I marry someone that they're the co-CEO of a company they don't even know anything about? No. I wouldn't hold them to that expectation. So what I, we began to do in the early days of the marriage was like, I had to say, okay, let me just accept her for who she is. Let me try and not put all these expectations on her or the marriage. And let us see if we can just get to know each other as husband and wife. And what happened for me and where the pain was, but also the joy, was I thought, okay, I'm single, I'm you know, preaching, I'm producing, I'm in Hollywood, I'm doing all these wonderful things. When I get married... That means I never have to go alone again. And the pain was that wasn't true. You're right. Because God has called me to fulfill a purpose in the earth. And I have to go whether she wants to go or not. And I can't get mad at her for not going when God didn't tell her to go. I get you. You get, get that? I get you. And so I'm articulating that because I think that sometimes, you know, especially when we're husband and wife, but we're also, you know, in ministry or we're in the public, there's this challenge of not holding our spouse to an expectation versus loving them and accepting them for who they are. It doesn't mean that she doesn't show up because she does show up and she's incredibly supportive. But putting that on the marriage was crumbling the marriage in the, in the first year. Yeah, this is my thought about it. I think it depends on how you hear what you said. If you hear what you said as, you are my wife, you are supposed to be here, then every empowered, unique, contemporary ideology about femininity is assaulted by that remark. 
That's right. But if you hear the hearts cry beneath it, that I'm no longer whole without you. Then the purpose isn't appearance. It's that I've been alone all these years. That's right. That's right. And I'm cold without you. That's right. It's that when I get through preaching and I've emptied myself out on the stage, I go to my room and I'm still tripping like I'm single. Because the balance that balanced my spirituality with my humanity is gone. And I thought I was finished. Mm. Yeah. That's what you're really saying. Absolutely. That's what you're really saying. Absolutely. But what she may be hearing is, you're supposed to be the first lady. This is what you're supposed to do. And who says I'm supposed to do that? Which is not really what he's saying. What he's really saying is, now that you have washed away the pain of the loneliness I had to live with, the loneliness is lonelier than it used to be. That's what he's saying. Can you feel that? The reason I think it's important to say that because I just got to talk about the most anointed people are the most freaky and all of that kind of stuff. It was funny and I, I like to have fun with you because you know, I do. But beneath all of that, you have to understand that you are his covering. And if you're not there, I'm uncovered. I'm not as strong as I would be if you were not there. And that you balance me when I'm bouncing off the walls in my room alone. The worst thing in the world for an anointed person to be after you have wrecked the place is alone. Your adrenaline is running all through your body. Your excitement is standing up here. You're all geeked up. You have given your courage away to them. They go home in courage. Here's the weird thing. You go back to the room. The more anointed you are, you go back discouraged. Because the courage that guarded your heart, you gave to the people. So they're all running around talking about, oh, did we have a time? Did we have a time? You go back to the room and you're empty and depleted and vulnerable and so thirsty that he's lost without you. It's not obligation. It's need. They wrung the last bit of juice out of me. They love Reverend Franklin. But Devon is holding Reverend Franklin up. And now they walked away with Rev And Devon drags off to the room. And because he is who he is, it's a nice room with a big bed overlooking a wonderful city with a fireplace. And everything is in the room but you. And I got to make myself be at home with what I am no longer at home with. Am I right? Uh-huh, I know. He, he said, Whoa. I can't even say nothing. <laughs> what becomes difficult in a marriage is finding a way to say it where she gets what you're saying without hearing what she's afraid you're saying. <laughs> See, I knew when they talked to me just then that she wasn't hearing what he was saying. And so he does what all men do when you don't get us. We adjust. We adjust. We adjust. But me being older, you can only adjust so long. 
then adjustment becomes bitterness. Am I talking to you? Okay, I can adjust to whoever you are for a while. I'm visiting your standards, but I can't live there. That's why Jesus couldn't stay in the earth. He visited, but he had to come out of there because it wasn't his natural habitat. And so men adjust and become secretly bitter. And a man can be bitter and show no sign at all. This is what makes marriage hard. When we are happy, we look like this. And when we are miserable, we look like this. Because you cannot read where a man is by what a man does. We will do what you expect us to do, but that doesn't mean we're happy. (laughs) We will do it. And this is why divorce becomes a shock. I had a couple come to me and say, I can't believe he gave me roses for my anniversary. And 30 days later, he served divorce papers. Why did he give me the roses? I said, because that's what he was supposed to do. He knew you expected him. He didn't give you the roses because he was happy. He gave you the roses because you have trained me. My wife trained me to give cards. Because I went to New York and I bought her an expensive suit and just on a whim took the card, just a card off the table and wrote on it, can't get you out of my mind. She never even wore the coat. She still got the card. I said, dang, I could have saved $700. (laughs) So over the years, she trained me that her love language requires cards. I don't give the cards because I'm a card giver. I give the card gift because you trained me. This is how you want me to love you. So if you train me that in order to love you, I have to adjust. I adjust, but I'm faking. Well, you can fake through your 30s. You can fake while you're 35, but eventually you are who you are. And all the while you're faking, you're getting bitter and you're getting bitter about something that she don't even know you're getting bitter about because you are adapting to your environment, but simply frustrated. What I hope happens is that conversations break out in the room, in the car, in the house, where you stop assuming things about each other and ask questions, even about things you think you understand about your spouse, because we lie to stay. We lie to stay. We say it don't matter and it does. We say we don't need it and we do. And what leads to divorce is when you can't lie no more. When we get through lying, we quit. And when we quit, we don't tell you we quit. We quit before you know it. Well, what makes us quit is the pressure of adapting. I could put on a dress and wear heels. I could do that for a while. But it's going to be hard because I'm not that. And I don't feel comfortable in it. And it ain't me. And I'm not a transsexual, <laughs> incidentally. And them heels and stuff is not going to work. So after a while, I'm going to want to kick them things off and beat them because this is not me. 
Don't make somebody not be them to love you. So you can't have rules either way so rigid that you can't visit each other and find a compromise because it takes years for the marriage to take. If I take skin off of your butt and I put it on your arm, it's still your skin, but it takes a while for the skin to take. When we throw the rice on you, it ain't over. It's just starting. And even though you've been married four or five or six or seven, eight or nine or 10 years and you got a couple of kids, doesn't mean that you bonded yet. Because what we will do when we love you, we are so desperate to have you, we will adapt to keep you for a while. Now, anytime a room gets this quiet, you hit something. Uh, and I'm telling you, he will lie for your smile. He will lie about who he is so you stop fussing. <laughs> he will transform into who he has to be to win your approval because the truth about marriage is this. Every man in some way marries mama. And when mama is mad, the little boy can't be happy. And every woman in the room in some way marries daddy. That's why when we make love, Oh, let me stop all of this. Let me do this. I'm going to open this up. <laughs> uh, I'm going to open this up. I can only take about three questions. And they're for Devon and Megan. You have me all the time. But if you have a question for them, jump up. Yeah, come on. How do you manage the conformity? Because there is sacrifice without losing your identity. He's saying, how can I compromise with you and still be an individual? Yeah, I think um, for us it's about balance, not losing ourselves but also becoming one and into kind of what we were talking about, you know, everything that Bishop said, that is absolutely true for a woman as well on the flip side. Mm -hmm. And so it's really about us, you know, getting to a place where it's not necessarily that we're conforming as much as we're finding the balance, a balance that we're both happy with, that we both can live with. At other times, I may give more. At other times, he may give more. Um, it's really just about what works for us. And then it's also not a set thing. Every situation is unique and different, and we work as it comes along. He may be preaching over there, and I may be doing a movie out of the country for X amount of months. Or I may be producing a film. Or he may be producing home. you know, yeah. and preaching, and yeah. I may be home or, or speaking or whatever it may be. And the biggest thing for us is, is making each other the priority, putting each other first. Everything else is secondary always acknowledging that we're each other's partner in purpose and we want the best for each other and just making sure that we have that balance in our relationship to support being, each other. Yeah. And being flexible. I mean, it, it is, you know, it's a, it's flexible. I mean, cause 
you know, some days it's like, all right, you know, hey, I got to go fly here and be there. And other days it's like, all right, I got to be at home and handle stuff or she's got to be at home. I mean, it's just really being flexible and giving each other room because um, as, anytime it's been too rigid, it, it just hasn't been good. On the days that you all cannot be together for whatever reason, whoever's busy that day, how important is it that you like contact each other, spending time, FaceTime, oh, FaceTime? Very. Uh, that's really We're important. always FaceTime and texting. Here's the question: calling. When you call each other, who do you want to answer? Wow. <laughs> he started laughing. It depends. It I mean, oh, okay. It depends for, for, on the time of day. It depends. Okay, okay, yeah, okay, okay. You, you don't have to go no deeper than that. I just wondered. Because you can call the same number and different people can answer. Oh yeah, right. yeah. Especially you can you, you, you can get you can get the how was your day person. Right. You know I won't give the whole oh, yeah. person who's still kind of at work in their mind and right. not really focused. Right. You can get all kinds of you know things. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing for us is just really trying to be in tune with each other and also to what you said about conforming. Don't conform to anything that you cannot live with for the rest of your life. That's one thing that I learned. That is some is good to advice be. right there. Oh, I tip my hat to you. My brother gave me that advice, and that's why I'm still married today. He says, don't start anything that you're not willing to do for 20 years. That was the best advice I got when I got married. That right there, I could frame that and put it on a plaque on the wall. He said, if you're not going to do it for 20 years, don't start it. Next question. Hey, okay, cool. Uh, uh, Devon, uh, I'm going to see you in Atlanta on uh, this Wednesday at the radio station. Oh, cool. But I'm going to ask the same question there. But what do you say to people who say that you guys are an outlier? You are an anomaly. That's good for you. It worked for you. But the truth is, I ain't really built like that. Mm-hmm. How do you respond to that? You mean in reference to the weight? Yes. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. That was an yes, I'm yeah. talking about yes. the weight. <laughs> yes. You know, I usually respond, especially to men, you know, they're coming from a spiritual standpoint, that that is literally a trick of the enemy. Because if men divorce themselves from the responsibility of managing their sexuality, then built in that is an excuse when something goes wrong and they step out of the marriage or they cheat on the girlfriend or they play around and they say, oh, sorry, this is how I'm built. And I'm tired of that. I'm, I'm like, look, if I have to be a man to stand and say, no, man, you got to take advantage, take responsibility for that, then I do it. And I don't think the weight is a male-female thing. I literally believe that if, as a man, if you don't get discipline in that area, you're not going to have discipline any other place in your life. But if that you can get so, discipline there, you can do everything. So, true. so I, I, that's what I would that's say to so that true. man because I'm so tired of men. And I was there, too, even when I was practicing the weight. doesn't mean I was a perfect dater. I wasn't. In dating, it's like, you know, you're sitting over here telling this one woman one thing, and you're telling another woman another thing, and you're telling this woman, no, don't sit there, because the girl I'm, I just spent time with is about to come down the pew. You know, this has literally happened to me, you know, because as a man, you're taught, hey, have as many as you can have, and as long as they don't ask too many questions, it's cool, but living that not only hurts the women that are God's daughters, but it also hurts God's man, too, because we're giving ourselves to so many different people, we don't even know who we are. So I would tell that man, no, bro, you got to be honest with everybody you're dealing with. Be honest with yourself. And when you begin to practice the way, you'll see how much more money you have. You'll see how much more time you have. You'll see how much more focus you have. 
People ask me, I'm 37 years old, I have my own production company, I'm one of the youngest people in Hollywood to have a deal, and people say, how did it happen? I said, because I practiced the weight. Because I didn't squander my 20s in and out of people's different bedrooms and unwanted pregnancies and all that. I had time to focus on what God was calling me to do, and you want to see acceleration in your life, start waiting on him in that area. That's what I would say. That's good stuff. That's real good. That's real good. Yes. Hey, Devon, um, quick question. You're Seventh-day Adventist. I pastor a Seventh-day Adventist church in Selma, Alabama. Being from England, having done seminary in Michigan, being exposed to a whole lot of different things, I deal with the tension of being from there, England, all that kind of stuff, but in a context where most of my folk haven't been in a place in, across the country, in half the places I've been. And so you wrestle with that tension between who you are denominationally, uh, but also who you are as yourself. How do you wrestle that tension between the kind of denomination, and I know how the denomination is, how do you wrestle that tension and then being who you are as a husband, as a producer um, in the world of, you know, in your world? Yeah, you know, even as a young youth growing up in the Adventist church, and I had desires to work in Hollywood, which was unpopular. It's like, what do you know? You can't do that. That's Sodom and Gomorrah. That's the devil's playground. (laughs) But everybody who was telling me that had never had the experience with it. They were giving me a version of what they thought it was based upon what someone told them, not based upon firsthand experience. So I began to resent. How are you going to tell me that that's not what God called me to do? If God put Daniel in Babylon, why couldn't he use me in Hollywood? So that thinking is what has helped me not worry about what people denominationally have to say. Because at the end of the day, I had to go and be what God called me to go and be. And here's the truth. When you start operating in the fullness of your purpose, there will be some narrow-minded people from your denomination that will never understand what God is doing. So you are going to be forced with the choice, am I going to live by a denominational standard that may not be biblical? And by people's opinion who worship the standard and don't worship God? Or am I going to have enough faith to be who he called me to be and let people talk about it and we'll deal with them when we get over to heaven. That's what I had to decide because I'm not here. And this is the thing I have to say. Look, I'll say it publicly and say to you guys because it's true. I am a Christian. I love the Lord. This thing about denomination is like, okay, we all came in different cars, right? Mm -hmm. But it doesn't matter what vehicle we came in. It's the fact that we're here right now. So why am I going to get mad at you that you came on American Airlines and you came on Delta and you came on Southwest? The bottom line is we all arrived in a relationship with Christ and we're here together. People want to get mad. Oh, well, you came from this denomination, that denomination. It don't matter where you came from. What are we about? What am I doing? So that, my friend, was what I had to, that idea is what I had to employ and live by so that I wouldn't be suffocated by coming from an Adventist heritage. Give God a praise. Give God a praise. Have you enjoyed them? 